Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, September the 12th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the All-22 is out and available as I record this podcast on Tuesday. We are going to put a bow on Sunday's win over the Tennessee Titans, Tannehill's passing chart, and all the offensive and defensive film notes for you guys. Plus, it is Crossover Wednesday. We'll talk to John from Locked On Jets and get his take on this Sunday's big, big game at the Meadowlands. But first, real quick, please, guys, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. And I think the reason I got that distinction was because of GIF Dump Tuesday. So check out all the GIFs from the game that I posted up on my Twitter account, as well as LockedOnDolphins.com. And speaking of LockedOnDolphins.com, that is by far the number one blog in the Locked On Network. We have tons of good content for you guys up there every single day. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Jets podcast or Locked On Pats or Bills podcast to catch up on all the AFC East news. And thankfully, we have no news from the Mad Dog today because this is going to be a long episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. So let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And first up today is the Ryan Tannehill passing chart. That's going to be my mainstay all season long. If you guys are familiar with my work, I have the 2016 season in its entirety up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And week one of the 2018 season is now live up on LOD.com, talking about every throw Tannehill made, charting it, giving you guys the advanced data on that, talking about how many air yards he had, play action passing numbers, everything you want to know about his game. And the most impressive thing to me was the fact that he was accurate on 24 out of 28 balls that he threw in this game, coming off of a 637-day layoff. It's hard to do that. It's, It's hard to imagine that he is right back where he left off to me. And I think we're going to see him only continue to grow and improve upon those numbers. And the one thing you really saw from this passing game and the way it evolved over the course of the game was the fact that the Tennessee Titans were just scared of the long ball in general, and they were playing that too deep soft defense, and that's why the Dolphins were able to get a lot of stuff going underneath. They averaged just 4.7 air yards per pass from Tannehill, and a big reason for that was because of Albert Wilson, Kenny Stills, and Jakeem Grant, and the speed they offer. They come out in that 12 personnel or 11 personnel, whatever it is. They jam the boundary with Albert Wilson or Jakeem Grant, which which means you have a one-on-one cornerback on that side of the field and they're not anywhere near interested in trying to let that receiver get behind them. So they have to play off or if they jam, they're sent into an immediate trail technique, which allows the back shoulder or the hitch route to become available. And the Dolphins definitely capitalize on that. On the day for Tannehill, I gave him five errors. Two of those errors were critical. The throw to Mike Gesicki was just plain awful. I've admitted that several times. He's got to do better than that. I wonder if it was the wet ball. Nonetheless, still don't make that bad of a throw in that spot. And the pick to Jakeem Grant, that was Tannehill's fault as well. I thought he misread the safety. Grant had it right, crossing the safety's face and getting into that open space. And he might have had a touchdown if Tannehill would have thrown that ball in the right area. Instead, they get crossed up. It gets picked off. And it brings the quarterback rating from like 110 down to 89. So goes from a great day to an okay day for Tannehill. But accurate on 24 of 28 throws. 
Like I said, not bad at all for a quarterback that hasn't played in almost two years. And those errors he made are definitely correctable, and I believe he'll get it corrected going into Week 2 against the New York Jets. As far as the offensive game plan and what they did, showing certain things to set up future things, there was that option play with Albert Wilson where Ryan Tannehill snuck off to the backside of the formation and they wanted to pitch the ball to Kenyon Drake with Albert Wilson. That's going to be a fun wrinkle to keep an eye on. And just the variety in the running game and the scheme with Eric Stutisville, the new running game coordinator, not doing cocaine in his off time, I'd imagine, because his plan was exceptional in this game. The Dolphins took advantage of so many different situations where they had numbers in the box or different personnel groupings dictated what the Titans were allowed to do. Last year, it was only outside zone because that's what Jay Ajayi wants to run. It's what fits Jay Ajayi. And while Ajayi's having success in Philadelphia and their scheme, I just think it was better off to get away from him and go with Kenyon Drake and also also Frank Gore, who is as well versed in an offensive set as you can imagine, and I continue to be impressed with what Frank Gore showed on tape in that game. He is a really good at getting skinny into the hole. Tannehill mentioned that back in training camp, and he does a good job of setting up his blocks in the same way that Kenyon Drake does with that inside zone play where he presses that hole inside and then has that quick jump cut to the outside, and it really sets those blocks up nicely. So the Dolphins running game, these running backs, Dan Kilgore, Josh Sitton, Jesse Davis, Jawan James, even Laramie Tunzel, these guys all had really good days in the blocking game, and the coaches did a great job of putting them in position to succeed succeed, whether it was outside zone, split zone, inside trap, and so many wham blocks from the tight ends. AJ Derby had a very nice day getting those dig out blocks on that wham look coming back across the formation. And one last note on the running game, they're going to be able to take advantage of numbers in the in the box with different personnel groupings. That's why I love this offense so much. They can dictate the bodies the defense has to put onto the field. For instance, Albert Wilson's first down run that he had on a little jet sweep across the formation, that came out of 0-1 personnel. That means no running backs, one tight end, four wides. You can run the ball when you have no running backs on the field. That makes the defense have to think about an awful lot. So the offense, a lot of give and take in terms of what they did, positive and negative. I expect them to get things cleaned up and continue to score a bunch of points. They already scored 27. That's going to be the case all year, in my opinion. And as far as the offensive line go, PFF had them down for three pressures. I had them down for five. All that data is up on LockedOnDolphins.com on the Ryan Tannehill charting piece. Check that out. As far as the defensive side of the film, I posted, I think it was 29 GIFs of the defense on my Twitter timeline at Linkful NFL. You guys can find that up there. My notes from that game are that Devon Godshaw is such a tree stump in the running game. He gets double teamed all the time and holds his ground. Vincent Taylor might be the best of that bunch up front on the defensive tackle side. He needs to play a lot more. He can stack and shed. He can make tackles in the backfield. He does a lot of stuff very well. Kiko Alonso played better than he did last year, I thought. Raekwon McMillan had some nice moments. I thought they all struggled in coverage, and that includes Jerome Baker, but not the worst game from the linebackers. They did struggle in coverage, though. These cornerbacks are really, really fucking good. Xavier Howard is good. He gave up one catch. Minka Fitzpatrick, he is great. He gave up two catches for two yards on four targets. Bobby McCain allowed the one catch on seven targets, and he did a great job of showing us why the Dolphins staff felt good about putting him on the perimeter on that Taewon Taylor long route. I broke it down on Twitter. He does a great job of pinning Taewon Taylor to the sideline and making that passing window very, very small. Also had a nice rep in the back of the end zone before the Minka Fitzpatrick stuff. Defense, the big weak link of the day was TJ McDonald. He got lost in space. He tried to cover out wide against Delaney Walker once. He was late on run fits. He was the big, big problem on the defense for the day. But it was his position mate, Rashad Jones, who really won the day. He missed a couple of tackles, but he made some really game-changing plays 
Obviously, you guys know about the interceptions that he had and the big interception at the end of the game to be so physical at the top of that route, at the stem of that route, and then to kind of throw Delaney Walker to the side. Blaine Gabbert makes a bad pass, but Rashad had to capitalize on it. He does. And then to get up and have that big return, that went from, okay, we have a great shot to win the game to after that return, the game was on ice at that point because all Miami had to do was make a chip shot field goal. So Rashad Jones, he, from to me, was a defensive player, not just for the Dolphins of the week, of the entire NFL. And then real quick, the last note I have from the film was the decision to kick it deep on the return the Titans had for the touchdown. The Dolphins had just gone up by two scores. I don't see why you have to kick off to them at all right there. Just kick it through the back of the end zone, give them the ball at 25-yard line, and make Blaine Gabbert go the entire field. That was the worst coaching decision of the day. Once again, like I said on previous podcasts, I expect Darren Rizzi to make a big change in the way things happen this, this Sunday because that was the worst special teams effort we've seen from this group in quite some time. All right, guys, that is the bow on the Tennessee Titans game. The Dolphins win once again, 27-20. They are 1-0, heading up to the Meadowlands for what suddenly looks like a very, very big and early season important game for the Dolphins against the hated New York Jets. But before we do that, a quick word from my bookie. And one of the funnest things about sports is getting some money on the game, putting your money where your mouth is, and being proven right with some extra cash at the end of the day. And that's why I'm urging all of you guys to go to MyBookie today to place your bets, lay down some cash, and win big. MyBookie has been in business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each and every game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when you use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Jets podcast. He is John Butchko. John, what's happening, man? I'm doing well. Um, you know, I think even the most optimistic Jets fan was not expecting a 30-point win in, at Detroit on Monday Night Football. So uh, right now, Jets Nation is just basking in their undefeated record in this rare period of optimism. Good quarterback play, dominant defense, outstanding special teams. I don't really know what more you could have asked for in that game. And I caught a bit of a flack on Twitter because I laughed pretty hard at Sam Darnold's first pass attempt, as any rival fan would do. But that's the first thing we have to start off with here is Sam Darnold. Tell us about the elements of his game that we need to be worried about on Sunday. And also, where could the Dolphins, quote-unquote, get him, so to speak? Well, I think that the, the first thing that comes to mind is he, he just he has an innate playmaking ability. When, uh, when the pocket breaks down, he, ju- he just has an ability to extend plays with his legs. He keeps his eyes down the field. There was one third down play that was relatively early where the Jets pretty much blew a blocking assignment up front. And I still don't know how he evaded the pressure, but he, he somehow found, found a way to escape the pocket and hit Quincy Ninwa uh, to extend the drive. The other thing that he, he's just wise beyond his years when it comes to uh, processing the game. Um, you know, and you know, I was watching a little bit of the film on uh, Tuesday, just going over some of the things. And, and a lot of this stuff, these plays don't look necessarily all that sexy. But there was one play where he made his pre-snap read, post-snap he doesn't get exactly what he thinks. There's a lot, extra linebacker drops that he's not expecting he, as he looks to his left. So he just calmly looks to his right and hits a pass for you know five six yards, which it's not necessarily the you know the the, the play that's going to make the highlights, but it just shows you how well he processes things. He, he's a tough guy to fool. 
Um, you know, another, another thing that comes to mind, you know, when we talk about playmaking ability, not just with his legs, um, his first touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson, I watched that play over about, you know, six or seven times. Right. <laughs> and it became obvious to me that Robbie Anderson was a decoy on that play because Anderson was running a vertical route. Darnold had a five-step drop, so the timing just doesn't really mesh on that. Anderson was just trying to run guys off, and Darnold recognized that they Detroit busted the coverage. I still don't know what the Detroit safety was doing on that play, but he recognizes that they busted the coverage. And his first read was his primary read was open on that play. He did not lock in the way a lot of young quarterbacks do. Yeah, that was um, nice. So, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Yeah, so I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of young quarterbacks would just be locked on their first read, and they see he's open and throw him the ball. You know, Darnold recognized what the Detroit blew that coverage. Um, so you know, there, there's a lot to like out of this uh, out of him in terms of uh, you know what his weaknesses are. I mean, I think you saw it on the first play, you know, the play that you were laughing about, and I mean, now Jets fans can laugh that they won after sure. they won the game, and Darnold played a pretty solid football game. But you know, he's going to make some head scratching decisions. You know, I. I I think there's a lot of Tony Romo in his game, and I mean that both good and bad. I think there's a lot of playmaking ability. Uh, you know, he's mobile. You know, he doesn't have the Romo release. Uh, but, you know, I think there's there are a lot of the good qualities, but there are also some of the bad qualities where every now and then he'll just make a play and he'll be like, what were you thinking? My God. <laughs> I was actually there in person when – I'm from the Washington State, believe it or not, and I was there when I saw the Cougs upset USC last year and his he fumbled to end the game and there was some of that in his game last year but you mentioned that the touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson the way he froze the flat on that play and kind of had the corner invited him up was really impressive for a rookie so hopefully he has one of those valley games as far as Dolphins fans are concerned that the rookie will have peaks and valleys but as far as the makeup of this offense it seems like and this kind of has always been the case for the Jets as long as I can remember they want to run the football and play strong defense so as far as the offensive line and the running backs go, who were you most impressed with on Monday night? Uh, it was a guy who made his Jets debut, Isaiah Crowell, who I knew a little bit about his game from Cleveland. Um, it seemed like they signed him to a decent contract. I, I just it really impressed with the way he finishes his runs. Um, you know, he he fights for for extra yardage. I think he's going to be a really good fit on this offense. And I also think uh, I think his uh, partner in the backfield, Bilal Powell. You know, he's, he's actually who's actually the longest tenured Jet now. He's a eighth-year player out of Louisville. They drafted him back in 2011. A guy who just does a solid job whenever he's called upon. You know, he's, he's got some receiving skills. He's um, he's elusive in, in the backfield. So I think that, you know, the Jets have a, have a quality tandem in the backfield. Yeah, they definitely do, and something the Dolphins are going to have to key on because run defense has been an issue for the Dolphins for a long time. They did handle the Titans pretty well on Sunday, for the most part, let a couple of runs get by them, but for the most part, they were dominant against the run. We have more with John on the other side of the podcast here. We'll talk about the Jets' defense. We'll do that next on Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And on the podcast with me once again is John Butchko. He is the host of the Locked On Jets podcast, talking about Dolphins Jets coming up on Sunday at MetLife Stadium at the Meadowlands in New Jersey there. And it's a big game for both these teams to try to kind of set the tone early on this season and kind of embark on a new I suppose, generation of Dolphins and Jets fans and, and the team alike. But let's talk about this defense a little bit here, John. And I saw that Deron Lee and Avery Williamson both had huge nights on Monday and both played just about every single snap on defense for the Jets. So in your mind, what has changed in Deron Lee's, in Dur- in Lee's game on Monday? Because prior to that, I saw the B word floating around him quite a bit. Yeah, and look, I, I'm not ready to declare Lee a success at this point <laughs> uh, based on one game. I mean, his first two years were disappointing by 
every metric imaginable. Um, you know, against the run, he, he could not shed a block at all. He uh, frequently was, you know, there was there was a con- kind of a controversy in New York because uh, Bart Scott, who now the former Jets linebacker, who now hosts a sports talk show in New York, he's a co-host of a sports talk show on WFAN. He made some remark a few weeks back that Lee was soft, and that you know began a big back and forth. But I think you know there were there are definitely instances where Lee doesn't finish his tackles well enough, and also in coverage. I mean, he's been he's been shaky. I mean, Pro Football Focus numbers indicate last year that he was one of the most successfully targeted linebackers in the league. Um, you know, I think you look and it starts with, uh, it, his game kind of turned around in this, in, after he had that first interception, he, uh, two picks, two interceptions in the game. I thought he actually played kind of a bad first half where again, he was washed out of a couple plays. He missed some opportunities to make open field tackles. Once he had that first interception, he just looked like a different player. He really, for the maybe the first time since the Jets drafted him, he looked like a legitimate first-round difference maker where he was flying to the ball, he was taking good angles, and the second interception, was I thought, I thought was very impressive where he read Matthew Stafford's eyes, made a great break on the ball, and he almost had a third. So it's almost like that interception let him calm down a little bit, maybe helped him to relax and just start, you know, instead of thinking, instead of overthinking everything, maybe just start playing. Yeah, it definitely looked that way, as well as Williamson, the new addition from the Titans there. And you guys have some new additions up on the front side of the defensive line there as well. We all know Leonard Williams has been an absolute menace for this team to deal with in the past. And basically the Jets' defensive line has always dominated this Miami kind of finesse offensive line that we have had. So I'm curious, John, how are these new pieces fitting in, whether it's Henry Anderson, Nathan Shepard, who I loved coming out of college, Brandon Copeland played a lot. How is that defensive line working together so far one game into the season? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, Shepard had a very strong training camp, very strong preseason, and Anderson was kind of quiet. And on Monday night, week one, it was kind of the reverse. Anderson was a guy who was constantly getting into the backfield, constantly penetrating. In fact, he had the hit on Matthew Stafford that uh, led to the Lee interception where Stafford kind of made a bad decision and threw, threw the pick to Lee had another big hit uh, later on. So I think from week one, it's, it's funny because in the preseason, Shepard was getting all the hype. Week one, Anderson uh, did, did a great job. And it's funny because Anderson, when the Jets acquired him from the Colts, had more of a reputation for being a guy who stopped the run. But he was actually a pretty effective, uh, effective pass rusher uh, week one. Now we'll see whether that continues again. It's only one week. Yeah, of course. And that's something we all have to kind of keep in mind. The Dolphins had a pretty sloppy game in terms of the two delays and all that fun stuff that went on. But one thing that I really worry about, and I think this has been the case for quite a while with the Jets in terms of Ryan Tannehill's career, you guys are loaded on that back end. And Jamal Adams, for my money, is one of the scariest players to face in the NFL. He has to be accounted for in every single play. We know about Mo Claiborne, Tremaine Johnson, they can all get it done. But I need your answer on this one thing, because what's to stop the Dolphins from just beating the hell out of Buster Screen with Kenny Stills again? Well, I think you remember the game that these teams played last year, and it was a very rough game for Screen. Um, Jets need, just need Screen to play better. He's a big part of this defense. The Jets love him in the slot. I, I don't love him as much as the Jets do, but this coaching staff has a lot of faith in him. And I mean, I, I hate to give you an obvious answer that Screen just needs to play better, but <laughs> Screen just needs to play better because, I mean, he... he uh, and so you could argue he single-handedly lost the Jets that game in Miami last year. He just got – I mean, the Dolphins just picked on him over and over, and I'm sure they're going to keep attacking him. Uh, so, you know, he play, I thought he played a pretty good week one. Uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what comes of it. 
but I, I mean, outside of Buster Screen needs to be better than he was last year against the Dolphins. I'm not sure I have much of an answer for you. <laughs> Just analyzing your voice there, John, you kind of seem to change your tone when I brought that up. So maybe that's where the Dolphins will go. They have plenty of receivers that can line up on all three positions on the offensive side of the football. So I'm sure he'll get his fair share of targets. Last question for you here, John. Give me one player on either side of the ball that's under the radar we have to keep an eye on for Sunday. Um, I think I'll go on offense with Quincy and Nunwa. He uh, missed all of last season. He suffered a neck injury, a, a, kind of a, a freak play, a non-contact uh, injury in a, in, a, in a training camp practice. They're actually at MetLife Stadium. Um, he's back. He scored a touchdown week one. I just think he's a really good fit for this offense. I think this is going to be an offense where they're going to get, try and get the ball out, the passing game where they're going to try and get the ball out of Darnold's hands quickly. Um, so I think he's a guy who's very good after the catch. He's kind of, I don't, I'm not sure I'd necessarily say he's a running back wide receiver hybrid, but he's a guy who just is tough to bring down in the open field. Um, and you, you may have, you may remember that if you watched the Monday night game, yep. uh, he did, did a great job. Uh, he did, he, that, that was a very impressive, uh, run after the catch yes, it was. Uh, for, for a touchdown and on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think I'm going to go with, uh, Marcus May, if he's back, now he actually missed this week one game. And I think it's one of the encouraging things for the Jets is that this defense played that, that well without Marcus May on the back end. So his status is up in the air. So you may, I may end up giving you kind of a, kind of a bad answer. But Adams is a guy who was more decorated coming out of college. He was the first round pick. The Jets actually double dipped at the safety position in last year's draft. And May was a very steady guy. They had him playing a lot of the single high last year. and was really steady, really, really solid for most of the year. You, know, you did not hear his name a whole lot, which is a pretty good thing when you're talking about a deep safety. Because when it, more often than not, I think when you hear about a deep safety, unless he's like picking off a pass, it's usually because he's gotten gotten beat, beaten and uh, the other teams made a big play. So if Marcus May is back in the lineup, that'll be a big boost for the Jets, I think. Yeah, that center fielder, if you're not watching the All-22, typically can get lost on the broadcast version, so I know exactly what you mean. Once again, great stuff from the Locked On Podcast crossover Wednesday podcast special. We're going to do this for you guys every single week. He is John Butchko, the Locked On Jets podcast. John, thanks again for joining me, man. My pleasure. And off he goes once again. Great stuff there from John. And we have a bit of a different schedule for today's podcast just because of all the information I had to get to. So I'm going to go ahead and close up with the C block of the show right now. And we're going to talk about power rankings across the league. I know they're irrelevant and I know I mostly shit on them for the most part across Twitter on the website and the podcast as well. But it's kind of fun to get an idea for what other people are saying about this team and to see how far up these lists this team can climb. On ESPN.com, the Dolphins climbed from 32nd, the worst team in the NFL. Somehow, no idea how they have that idea. But they climbed from 32nd up to 24th. And here's the blurb. Frank Gore averaged 6.8 yards per rush in his Dolphins debut, doubling Kenyon Drake's average of 3.4. Whatever. And Gore needs 15 yards in week two against the Jets to pass Curtis Martin for fourth place all time. So they're more concerned about Frank Gore's legacy than the Dolphins' actual team. NFL.com, the next one on the docket, this Elliot Harrison guy, who I really have no idea who he is or how he got to this position, but he writes, the Dolphins are 23rd best in the NFL, not climbing at all. And his blurb was what really bothered me here. Tis the season for unpretty wins between four plus hours of weather delays, multiple turnovers, and a so-so showing from Ryan Tannehill. The Dolphins survived the Titans to kick off the season at 1-0. This was the longest same-day delay I can remember. 
makes you wonder if the Dolphins played Uno in the clubhouse to pass the time as Lightning shut down Hard Rock Stadium. The cruddiest part for an, for an athlete during a delay like this, the body cools off, which yada, 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 who gives a crap? He talked about the delay more than the Dolphins' performance, so once again, brushed under the rug. But then you get this one from CBS Sports, which it's not some type of enlightening blurb, but listen to the rank they give the Dolphins. The 17th best team in the NFL coming up four spots after their win. Like I said, I don't know how they didn't climb the spot on NFL.com after a win, but they climbed four spots. They looked good and beaten the Titans in that long, delayed game. Now they have a winnable road game against the Jets. I do wonder if CBS Sports watched the Jets game before they wrote that blur because everyone seems to be all over the Jets jock right now going into this game. And Vegas even thinks so too, as the Dolphins opened up as one-point favorites and have now slid to three-point underdogs on the road at the Jets. We'll talk more about that game on tomorrow's podcast with an in-depth film review as well as a column. All the stuff you guys need to know for game day, you can find on LockedOnDolphins.com as always, as well as the podcast. And speaking of LockedOnDolphins.com, the Ryan Tannehill passing chart is up on there right now. Check that out. As well as the latest piece from our staff lead, Jason Harina, he writes three things we learned about the Dolphins in week one. He has been a fantastic writer for us, so check out his piece. And the last thing to get to today is the question for the MetLife Takeover t-shirt contest. All you guys have to do is answer all four questions on the podcast this week from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday show. Take your answers to Jason at the MetLife Takeover tailgate. He'll be wearing a Locked On Dolphins shirt. Give him these four answers and you can get yourself a free Locked On Dolphins t-shirt. Today's question, which Miami Dolphins receiver holds the team record for single game receiving yards? One game, who had the most yardage? Give that answer to Jason on Sunday for a chance at a free Locked On Dolphins t-shirt. A little bit longer episode than usual today. Hope you guys appreciated the extra content with the film review as well as a look ahead to the Jets. But that is my time for the podcast. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.